In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are in the season of Advent, and we are anticipating the coming of Christ. And John the Baptist sort of dominates uh, our gospel readings. And we will get to him in just a little bit. But before we get to John, let me say that I really like finish lines. Running is uh, where I often put my stress, as the bumper sticker says, it's cheaper than therapy. Um, There's something I find very satisfying about uh, knowing what kind of workout I'm getting ready to do and then completing the task. Uh, And yet, um, you know that there's always another workout coming, there's another task to complete. A course of training generally uh, culminates for me in a race that I have absolutely no chance of winning. Uh, I'm just uh, competing against myself, against the goals that I've set. And after a recent race, not too long ago, I lay on the ground. I was just completely exhausted. And a friend, a running friend, um, came up to me. I'd missed my time goal. And the running friend came up to me and asked, I think innocently, so when do you think you'll do another one of these? Former running friend, and uh, but the truth is, I am. I'm setting new goals. I'm, I'm looking ahead. I uh, want to be faster and onward and up because achievement is like that. You cross a finish line, and then there's another finish line that's calling your name. Uh, there's never a real finish line. Uh, you reach one height, and you realize there's there's another mountain to climb. Uh, Most of you are familiar with Urban Meyer. Uh, He, of course, was the head football coach who won two national titles uh, with the University of Florida, uh, much to many of your chagrin, I'm sure. Uh, It has been well chronicled that Urban Meyer's success came from chasing a finish line uh, that never existed. He was driven uh, by the voice of a hard father who demanded perfection, perfection, Perfection. By the time that Urban Meyer got to Florida, the margin for error was so paper thin that even when they won, he lost. He was consumed with rage over tiny mistakes. He demanded from coaches, from players, perfection, perfection, perfection. After he won his second title in 2008, he locked himself in the coach's locker room before he even left the stadium and began calling recruits. Nearly a year later, in the wee hours of the morning, after losing the SEC championship game to Alabama, he collapsed in his home due to a stress-related cardiac episode. The finish line had eluded him once again. And his body rebelled against defeat. Now, you may be a fan of a rival team, one or the other, and you may wish that you could uh, easily dismiss Urban Meyer as sort of a nut. Uh, But it's not the case. He is a very smart man who put himself in a position to achieve the highest success in his profession. And in doing so, he was crushed by the law. It wasn't God's 
moral law per se, but it was the law nonetheless, the law which demanded perfection, and in so doing crushed its object. Maybe it's not smart to use this example in a room where so many of you may be tempted to point quickly to a coach who at least uh, projects an image that he handles the pressure well. But surely you can stifle your allegiance just long enough to identify with the point that Meyer's story makes. Because you know, you know what I mean when I say that there's never really a finish line. That crossing one finish line just means that there's a series of other finish lines waiting for you around the corner. That achievement doesn't bring enjoyment and satisfaction nearly as often as it heightens and amplifies the demand for perfection and the anxiety over failure. You don't need to have it play out in your own life to the extreme that it did in Myers to know that it's true. Because you already know it's true. You know it from your careers. You know it from your place in society, from your guilds and your boards, your clubs. You know it from your roles as parents and the achievements of your kids. You know it from your neighborhoods. You know it from your bathroom scales, which I know is far too personal for me to bring up in a sermon, but it is true nonetheless. You know it from your Christmas shopping lists. If it wasn't true, then you'd be done after this year. You wouldn't have to shop for next year because everything you bought for your family would be enough. But next year, there's going to be uh, iPad 5s and iPhone 6s. And cardigan sweaters will be back in style. Um, it, it, it never ends. You're never quite there. Now, I told you, I like finish lines. They can serve as important, valuable markers along the way, but the way never really ends. An achievement leads to the demand and the pressure for more achievement. And I can assure you that my vocation as a clergyman in no way shields me from the allure of elusive finish lines. Nor does it shield me from knowing the crushing Away of the demands of the law in every sense that I just described, including the bathroom scales. Somehow all of this brings us to the ministry of John the Baptist. John was a fiery preacher. He didn't pull any punches. He called people to repentance. He called people to confess the waywardness of their hearts from God and the waywardness of their hearts from God's law. He called people to commit themselves to aligning uh, themselves with God's purpose and plan and thought, word, and deed. And you know what? It seemed to be working. I mean, people were coming out in droves to hear this wild man in the wilderness to receive the uh, rite of baptism as a marker along the way in the quest uh, to please God. But they asked John the pivotal question. It's the question that that comes so easily from our lips and from our souls at a point of crisis, maybe especially a crisis of faith. They asked John, what shall we do? 
That is the question that is inscribed on the front of every finish line medal. Now what am I going to do? Because the next finish line is calling. How should they live their lives now that they had re-promised themselves to God? And John, who preached on that side of Jesus, he could only tell them what to do. Care for others. Be people of integrity. These are words to live by. They are, they are goals to shoot for. They, they are life lessons that any good football coach would be proud to tell his players. Yet they are also more law without a finish line. Uh, which is not to say that, they're, they're, that John's instructions aren't good and true. They are. He's essentially telling us that a primary way to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is why they come to be baptized, their primary way to do that is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's what theologians call the summary of the law, and it's embedded right here in the first two-thirds of this passage in Luke. And yet there's a reason why when, uh, in our Eucharistic services, when we recount the summary of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, there's a reason why it immediately come, uh, is followed by, Lord, have mercy. Because we can't do it. And neither could they. But John knew that. He must have known it because the history of Israel's disobedience attested to it. He's a prophet. He surely saw it in his own life the way you and I see it in ours. And so John didn't only tell them what to do. He also pointed them from the marker of baptism to the finish line of salvation. The real finish line. The it is finished line. He points them and us beyond our good intentions to the coming Savior. Jesus Christ. The rock of judgment for those who do not believe. But the rock of salvation for those who trust in Him. John was heralding the coming King. Now all he could tell the penitent people was what they should do. But he points us all to the one who says it has all been done. The God of all creation who came as a helpless infant. Who lived a perfect life and died a criminal's death crying out on our behalf. It is finished. Because you see there is no finish line. After the it is finished line. That's the line beyond which the words of the prophet Zephaniah, which we heard this morning, rest upon those who belong to Christ by faith. No matter how driven we are by the demand for perfection or by the anxiety of failure. Zephaniah says, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's cast out your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord your God, is in your midst. He is a warrior who gives you victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in His love. 
He will exult over you. Over you. With loud singing. Friends, that is the eternal truth about you if you are in Christ. Do you know what that means? It means that goals can be helpful, but they don't have to be slave drivers. It means that you're free to enjoy the successes that He gives you until He gives you more. And it means the failures and the hardships and the hard things that come our way may be instructive, but they don't have to be defining, and that He is with us. Because it's not a race. It is finished. And so in this final final week of Advent, I want you to consider whether you're living in a John the Baptist era quasi-faith of self-salvation. Or whether that baby in the manger really has come for your salvation by His grace to rejoice over you with gladness and to renew you in His love. Rejoice! It is finished. Amen.